This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Time Travelling Team. I'm Trisha. Each week, Paul and Dan do a fantastic job guiding us through the wide world of movies and TV shows. Meanwhile, my co-host Paddy and I are taking a trip through the time vortex and discussing the wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey world of Doctor Who. Starting back from the earliest adventures in 1963, we're discussing the stories, the Doctor, the companions and the villains of this iconic show. You can find us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy as Paul and Dan do their thing, half-measure style. Kia ora, and welcome to episode 53 of the half Measures podcast. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how you doing? Howdy, Dan. I'm good. That sounds like you've got a bit of a, a Yellowstone uh, edge to your... To your voice? It's been a full a full week of Yellowstone, Dan. I'm now wearing the brand. I'm living the brand. And, yeah, I can't wait to talk about it. I'm not even going to muck around. Let's, uh, you know, as tradition dictates, apart from Yellowstone, what, what have you been watching, Paul? Tell me all about it. Okay, so apart from that, we'll come to that. Uh, so I watched a movie, News of the World, a uh, relatively new movie, 2020 movie, set uh, in 1870, Tom Hanks. Um, and uh, it's about this guy who's a, he's a former member of the uh, Confederate Army and he's now making a living traveling around reading newspapers for, for 10 cents for anyone who will give him time of day to listen to it. And uh, it's, it's a really interesting movie. It was not what I expected at all the story sort of evolves he he comes across a a, a young girl who has um, been like in an overturned wagon and uh, he's sort of trying to find you know where, where's your parents working where's your family where can i take you to and you know spoilers as always guys um he ends up having to sort of look after her for for quite a while and it's Tom Hanks, as we've talked about before, he's a huge draw card for anything. And I've always enjoyed um, movies from Paul Greengrass, who's the, the the director here. So if you think, you know, Captain Phillips, United 93, and of course, you know, all four of the, the Jason Bourne movies are all fantastic. And so those two together, plus Western, and I probably went into this movie overhyped, if anything, if I'm honest. And um yeah, I've kind of got a split feeling on this one because on the one hand, I can I can see that this is a very good movie and I, I think it's very well done. And as such, I th- I think I would recommend it to, to people to go see. But on the other hand, somehow, despite even knowing that and being able to point to all those things that make it good, somehow I didn't really enjoy watching it, which which was a bit of a shame. Have you, have you, you haven't seen this one, have you, Dan? No, I haven't, but it's on my Netflix watch list, and uh, I was going to watch it the other day, actually, and I thought I'd just sort of obviously been in the middle of uh, Yellowstone, thought I'd sort of hold off, because I sort of feel like I'm I'm deep in the, the cowboy genre at the moment, so I've just kind of got it sitting there waiting to watch. I did watch the uh, the trailer that started playing, and I sort of got a, 
a mixed vibe that sort of gave me the sense of like I wasn't sure what I'd be in for. So I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's um, Tom Hanks is is really good in it, as you would expect with, with Tom Hanks. Um, and I do, as you know, like a slower pace, uh, and it certainly is slower than Paul Greengrass's other stuff. But it didn't always keep my full attention, and I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't go on my phone at least once during the final third of the movie. And the final third of the movie is when you should really be invested and things should ramp up, right? And to be honest, when I go to see a Paul Greengrass movie, actually I think part of that comes with the the, the hope and the anticipation of what I've enjoyed in his other movies will be in this. And of course, this is about as far away as you can get from a Jason Bourne type direction. And But that's on me, I guess, for classifying what I think a Greengrass movie should and, and might look like but it's like and i've said this to you before then it's like if i feel like a curry and it's in my head and i'm expecting curry for lunch and then i go to get a curry but when i get there the curry place is shut and i end up getting a subway i may not enjoy the subway as much as i would normally because i've been thinking about a curry even though it's a perfectly good subway i like subway i just wanted a curry and that's that's how i felt about this i'll tell you what kind of um that really probably deep down delayed my watch of this is I think when I'm when I'm wanting to watch a, a cowboy movie, I'm looking for a certain edge with that, mm. and I'm looking for uh, it to be quite gritty, I guess. And obviously, we're big fans of Tom Hanks. He, he's had some amazing movies, mm. but I almost kind of knew with Tom Hanks kind of being the, the star of this uh, western that it would probably be a little bit more friendly, should I say? Yeah, I think I think you're pretty close to to that sort of vibe. I think it, I think it is exactly that. There there isn't that maybe quite that grit, um, you know, and uh, and the, the, and there are elements of danger, and there are some tense moments, and there's this really good shootout scene that involves filling these empty bird shot shells with coins and then firing like bullets of coins at people. And it's all, those are quite clever, but I don't know. I feel like, I feel like this is partly on me, which is why I guess I'm sort of saying to people, you know, don't go expecting it to be what it's not. Um, it does tell a good story, a really quite nice story, but um, it just, you know, and I, I'm feeling bad because I remember, you know, last week, I feel like I was sitting here saying, oh, this wasn't good. I didn't like this. I'm thinking, right, we're going to have a positive week here, Paul. And I'm coming I'm coming in and I'm giving this one one gun akimbo, Dan. That's what I'm giving it. Holy moly. I've never heard a one gun, one gun akimbo from you, Paul. That, mm. That's incredible. Mm. I think it's, it's tough as well, isn't it? Because we're not actually getting a lot of movies at the, at the moment for obvious sort of uh, COVID worldwide reasons and so I think when a movie like this comes along and it's got uh, some big names attached to it it's kind of like you just want it to be so good and you want that kind of like great movie experience but it's not to say we're not getting um, good stuff but it, the well is quite dry mm. uh, when it comes to I think this sort of content at the moment. That's exactly right and look I won't lie to you either having watched a lot of Yellowstone as well having that similar genre obviously within a different time frame but that that, that genre within, within itself sort of it just yeah that probably affected it as well anyway onward onward and upward sorry superstore now this this is funny this is good so we have watched superstore season one uh which if you haven't seen it it follows a group of employees working at this uh this this you know, like a, a big box store, as they call them in America, like called Cloud Nine. 
uh, in Missouri. And it's basically came out the comedy. And in fact, I did some reading on it and the pilot was actually shot entirely in Kmart. And if you pay close attention to the, the pilot, you can you can see the Kmart branding. And it seems like I'm very late coming to the show, which as anyone who has seen it, it's already six seasons in. And so this is something that both my wife and I are both watching as as a as a new plan a palate cleanser, sorry. And so the the type of humor is is right up our alley. And um Really good, great cast, real funny. Uh, America Ferreira, who played uh, Betty in Ugly Betty, um, she she is great. Um, Matt McKinney plays the the store manager, who's like way way too enthusiastic about life, and his voice sounds very much like Fozzie Bear. Um, but probably my favourite one is an actress, Lauren Ash. She plays this really strict, no nonsense assistant store manager and so if you think dwight from the office but this time with muscle she's she's hilarious and i just love this whole vibe they have it's another one of those workplace comedies that seems like seen through the lens of comedy would be a great place to work so it's like how i would love to go and work for the um the packs department in in pawnee indiana i would love to go and work for for uh, dunder mifflin in, in scranton now i'd love to go work at cloud nine in, in missouri because the comedy mess makes it feel like and it's just a really simple comedy and i, and I love it it's a it's worth a watch it's a good palate cleanser i feel like this has just sort of come it's, it's sort of made a bit of a splash in new zealand because i've actually heard quite a few people talking about this show uh i maybe saw it a, a few months ago and i've i've watched the first episode maybe, maybe two episodes and i kind of thought it had a a spark of interest but it didn't sort of hook me in immediately but mm. i've actually heard you know now that you're giving it a bit of a, a thumbs up and I've, I've heard quite a few people talking about it i wonder whether i actually need to go back and, and give it another whirl it's yeah it's just the simplicity of it uh, i guess you know the the office workmates at work doing regular tasks and, and finding funny things annoying things ridiculous customers it's that kind of thing and there's just lovely little moments like they do this thing in between scenes where they will they'll cut away to random customers in in, in random aisles across the store for just like three or four seconds but within that small window of time something really subtle but really ridiculous or funny. And if you blink, you'll miss it type thing will happen. Like there's people fighting over a trolley or shoplifting ridiculous items. There's a, there's a woman who <laughs> she deliberately checks out what this mannequin is wearing under his shorts and just walks away with a big smirk on her face. And it's just, it's just really good, easy comedy. And uh, it's really making me laugh and no one annoys me. And that's, that's a good palate cleanser for me. That's good. I think it's, you know, it's, I think it's always good to have some some palate cleansers on the go, right? And I think when you come across one that's got a good, what, five or six seasons, that's, that's mm. definitely a win. For sure. And then third and final for me, Dan, is season one of Yellowstone. And so this has been, this is, you know, what I've just described, these other two things have been the sort of the, what do you call it, like the, the, the B movie before the main event, the you know the trailers before the the main movie. This this was the big one for us for this week, um, going through this entire season. And like I sort of just briefly touched on last week when we, we just started, it was it was a slow start. That that first episode being like a, a movie length episode um, is quite slow, but then it it just ramps up and like i said before i haven't had a good western since since deadwood and i love the fact that it's modern day um and 
yeah, it's yeah. I feel like COVID aside, um, this is the first time I've had like a an insight to what it might be like in in Montana right now, uh, as opposed to the majority of westerns that I've ever watched, which traditionally in the past. And so appreciating Dan that you are obviously a couple of seasons ahead, and I'm obviously going to want to stay spoiler free. I'm up to the point at the end of season one where a guy called Dan, funnily enough. Uh, a guy who's going to be building land and and, and building. Uh, and, and again, anyone else who's listening, who might want to watch it fast forward, use the show notes. Um, yeah. This guy suddenly it appears is, is he's being hung and, and John's son, Casey, who's, who's now suddenly on the scene and he's only just moved into the cable shed is like, let him hang. And it's just, it's, we're at that point. So that's where we're up to. So when we talk, we won't go beyond that, but um I am really, really enjoying this this series. I can't quite put my finger on it, which is great for a podcast, isn't it? Uh, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Why I love it, I just love the the cast, the the simplicity of that story. You know, when you tell the story of you know this is a better family that are fighting to keep their land, it's like big deal. But it's it just really, really works. And as soon as we finish this podcast, I know we're we're going to be at the Australian season two. I think uh, I think you're right, like, and I think we've mentioned this uh, before. But the, the first episode, I think, of Yellowstone, I don't think actually does it justice for setting it up for you to necessarily want to watch more. And I could imagine a few people maybe trying out that first episode and being like, "Nah, this is too slow for me." But I think mm-hmm. as soon as you get through that first episode, I feel like the handbrake comes off, and every every episode has just got high drama and it's high cowboy drama. There's always something going wrong. There's always um, threats around the family. All of the characters are really interesting. It's a, it's just a sort of a, a interesting concept. I think, Um, you know, obviously the the Dutton family owns this, this giant piece of land in, in Yellowstone and people are always trying to take it. And it's kind of just that sort of notion of, even though they own it as a, as a family, they've owned it for several generations, it doesn't matter because people want the land, people need it. They're trying to, you know, obviously do it to make money, but they're also, you know, trying to get the land under the guise of we want to create jobs, we want to boost the economy of the city. Mm-hmm. And then you've kind of got the whole other lens of this as well, of the, you know, the, the land actually belongs um, to the um First Nation Indian people of, of America and, and they mm-hmm. want the land back as well and just kind of the I think just the notion of, of who that land belongs to is I think brings out a, a really good story there's so many great characters have you have you got some favorite characters in the in the show yet oh yeah and I, I'll, I'll talk about a couple of my things I, look I'll start with with John Dutton I mean how can you go past him I mean this may sound a little bit fanboyish but I literally just love Every line Kevin Costner delivers in the role of John Dutton, uh, and by and large, you know his his character is very calm, and slow, and deliberate, and measured, and he's in a relative position of power and control. And his one liners are, are just great. And the number of times he said something, and I thought I really need to use that at work tomorrow. And of course, you know, I, I never do because you need that deep, stone cold Southern accent to really make it come off. <laughs> I, I this Yellowstone has never made me fanboy more 
um, over Kevin Costner. I just think he smashes this role. And obviously, Kevin Costner's been in uh, a lot of Westerns over his time. But I think he just does this role so well. He holds such a a strong edge and he sort of commands so much power, but he says so little. And he's someone who you just don't want to disappoint. And I think one of the other great things uh, in season one is when they do the flashbacks of uh, a younger um, uh, Dutton. It's, it's a good time. Yeah, it really is. And um, like you, my, uh, yeah, you're right. My appreciation for him as an actor has just gone through the roof. And I feel like, you know, and I actually said this when we, we did our, you know, we did a peak performance on Costner, didn't we, uh, last month, I think it was. And I feel like he's coming into a new era of prime for that leading role at an older age, particularly when it's a slower paced type sort of uh, Western. And, you know, his character, at least at this point where it's at in season one, is often very dislikable uh, and his 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 uh, the way he treats you know his family the, especially Jamie his son Jamie it's just it's, it's horrific um, but the one thing I will say about this and I guess you touched on it when you said the action ramps up is it really I'm not sure what it was we reviewed the other day but you used the expression a series of unfortunate events and I'll tell you what this show is full of those. And for a tranquil-looking Montana setting in what looks like should be a relatively incident-free place, place, there's a lot of things that are happening, and some of them have incredible consequences. And so the example that springs to mind for me is, you know, we've got those foreign tourists hiking, they're in trouble, and within 60 seconds they're plummeting to their death down the you know, off the cliff. Uh, we've got the white van on the side of the road that you know, Casey goes, checks it out. Turns out there's two dodgy guys in there holding a young girl hostage, which results in shots being fired. They then chase that vehicle. But of course, Casey doesn't want to take his son. So he says, oh, you stay here. And within 30 seconds of him driving off, the son is having to deal with a poisonous snake. All of these things could happen. But it's like you say, if it could happen, it does happen in Yellowstone. Yeah, look, I think when at first, I think particularly in season one, so many things happen, and without going into spoilers, I do think they tone that down a little bit in in seasons two and three, and and I think in a, in a good way because it's like you can't just have that much drama constantly happening in the show, and I think this is something the show does quite well. I think is obviously they've got a lot of stuff happening because they, they're trying to keep it interesting for the viewers, um, but I think they try to that they balance really well the kind of the old world cowboyish nature mm. of running a ranch with the modern pressures of society. And That's I think right. they they use things like um, being a livestock agent as a bit of a, a bridge or a cover for for doing some some pretty dodgy things. And I've got to admit, the first time I saw a livestock agent, I actually had to Google it to see if it was actually a real thing because I was like, what the hell is a livestock agent? Like all I know now is it's super badass and you get to wear a bulletproof vest that says livestock agent and you get to pretty much be like a cop. I feel like, Dan, I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I feel like this would be almost like a dream job for you. I feel like I could see you, I could see you just moving over there, cowboy hat and all, and you'd, you'd be, you'd just fit right in. I think you'd love it. Uh, do you know what, Paul? I've never had any interest in farming or anything like that. But if it's like, I'm just going to presume that owning a ranch is a lot like you know Yellowstone the TV show, and I'm <laughs> I'm all about it. Sign me up. It's I like the idea of like you you have your coffee in the morning. You're kind of overlooking the ranges. You're you're talking about how you're going to manage your different cattle. You're you know you've got your 
giant uh, truck with so many wheels on it that it's, it's ridiculous. You you hire cowboys and you go and lasso things. Incredible. I'm in. Absolutely brilliant. So, um, yeah, so characters. I made a note of three characters I was going to mention. Firstly, uh, so we've talked about John, but Rip. Uh, this this was a character, uh, Rip Wheeler, um, played by Cole Hauser, who I believe I've seen in a f- franchise called The Fast and the Furious. I may be, may be mistaken. Correct. I thought I spotted him from there. Yeah, he. When I first saw him, I thought, oh, he just seems really overbearing and unlikable as well, but he's got a depth, and now I appreciate his position and I enjoy the, the backstory about how he came into service for, for John Dudden. I really enjoy him. Jamie, who I mentioned, the son, I just I just don't get it. It's just so horrible to watch one son be singled out and just not treated with the same respect as other kids. And I really empathize with him and I really want him to succeed. But I know that if he succeeds, that will likely be at the expense of John and the rest of the ranch because he's gone to the New York magazine and he's going to do a whole article. And so I'm torn about that because I don't want Costner's character going down really, even though he deserves it. I mean, I'm so deep into it now. The uh, the other guy, uh, probably for me, who's strong is is the other son, Casey Casey Dutton, who you know he's a former Navy SEAL, and um, I haven't been able to do too much reading about this because, of course, I run the risk of spoilers. But you know, the whole story with him is is really really interesting as the you know as the youngest son. Um, and of course he's got his, his native American, uh, wife, uh, Monica, Monica and the son and the, the, the complexities of that whole relationship with the two, the two families. I find that really, really, really fascinating. So those are probably the standouts for me. Plus of course, Beth is absolutely insane. She is out of control. I don't want anything to do with her. I just, she's a loose cannon. She's emotionally unstable. And I, yeah, those are, those characters are the ones that, you know, I, I, I find her stories less, uh, less uh, compelling than, than the, and that's not being sexist saying I just want the cowboy scenes, but I just find her crazy. Uh, look, I, you, you've touched on some really good points. I think it's hard for me to kind of talk about these characters, um, being being ahead of you in this, but I'll just I'll, I'll give you my top three characters right now. Um, it would be Rip, it would be Beth, and it would be probably John. And so, and I'm the, I was the same as you. I was like, Beth is a nightmare. Like, <laughs> just so much so much chaos going on. You know, obviously she's a character that that drinks heavy. She's pretty hard edged, uh, but I, I've really grown to appreciate the the role that she plays with the Dutton family. Um, I'm so glad that you're in on this, Paul, and I, I'm excited for you that you're you're about to sit down and watch season two. It definitely feels like a show uh, that I could sit down and watch again at any point. It's it's so good. In fact, whenever somebody says to me at the moment, "What should I be watching?" Yellowstone is the first thing I'm saying. Yeah, definitely. And look, if if you if you haven't started it, get in amongst it. If you're in New Zealand, head straight to neontv.co.nz. Get your free 14 day trial just for for Yellowstone alone, and see if it's for you. Because honestly, I can't I can't talk about this enough. The the other thing I made a note of, I've been I made a note here that just simply says. Uh, cow shed and uh, that's that doesn't make much sense out of context but what i meant by that little note there is the and i'm not sure what the word is where the cowboys all live where they all sleep the the barn where they are i just love that vibe in that shed i feel so sorry for that guy jimmy 
you know, he's just, he just, he just hasn't, he's just not a cable yet. And he's just being ripped to shreds. But at the same time, there's these nice moments where every now and then he does something and the, the rest of the, the ranchers, the wranglers all like sort of come to him and like, you know what, good on you. you, you you're getting there. And it's, it's just a really interesting dynamic to watch. What I, so, um, so the bunkhouse, which is where, where they all sleep, um, That's- is, I, I just I love all the sort of like cowboy stuff and the fact that they hire people and their job title is cowboy, and it's so cool. And I think a lot of the work that they do on on the ranch, they have to use a combination of like modern technology. Like sometimes they're using ATVs, or other times actually this is actually horse work, or you know, and it's a lot of sort of really kind of like again going old school to actually manage this this big ranch and, and, and get the job done. And I think it's interesting when we then go back into the city mm. and obviously, you know, there's shops, there's you know, coffee shops, there's, but there's, there's still a whole bunch of people walking around in cowboy hats and it kind of is such a an insight. It, it really makes me want to go there because I feel like it's still kind of living in kind of two worlds in a way where it's modern, um, but the West will never die out there, if you know what I mean. No, that's exactly right. And if you walked in on someone watching Yellowstone and it happened to be at a moment when it's in the city, you would not for a second have a clue that this show is actually really about, you know, life on a ranch in Montana. It's a, it's a great recommendation, Dan. You've recommended a number of things and this is the one I've gone with and I feel really glad to have done it. So um, we'll see how we go this week, see if we've got season two under our belt next week. We'll see how much I can watch. Amazing, amazing. I think um, almost don't rush it. Like, just enjoy it. Enjoy it for what it is. Like, enjoy it the cowboy way. I appreciate that, partner. Tell me, what have you been watching, Dan? What have I been watching? All right. So, um, I have just finished season three of Yellowstone. Um, so, I really took my time with it because I, I didn't want it to end. Um, but it's. It's made me super excited for season four. We're getting season four this year, so there's still, I think, lots of time to catch up. Obviously, there's going to be the prequel, which we talked about before as well, 1883. Um, season three is good. It's oh, I can't wait to talk to you about it, Paul. It's so exciting. There's there's so much. I, I, can't even, I can't talk about any of it without really dropping some major spoilers, but such a, a top-tier show. Um, I've started watching, uh, they've just put the season seven of Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Netflix here in New Zealand. So I've just kind of, uh, in a palate cleanser type way, just started watching that. Um, just as a pretty casual way, like I typically find it's the type of show I might watch while eating dinner or something. It's, you know, one at a time sort of a, a enough for me and there's a there's a few sort of good laughs in it. I'm quite enjoying um, with season seven, um Captain Holt is actually part of the um part of the the team. He's back to being a, a police officer and that, that's that's a lot of fun. Holt's probably my favourite uh, character in that show still. Holt that's just that deadpan delivery he has for everything and that lack of excitement, even when he's saying he's completely excited. I love that. I love that character. I agree. I think I think Holt is the the real gem in the Brooklyn nine nine lineup. And I think any scene where he's in it, it's gonna be a good time. Um, what else am I watching? Oh, I just started watching um one of the TV shows on the I guess the addition to Disney Plus here, uh, Star, which mm. I think is 
I kind of find a funny name, but we, we can talk about it maybe in the news. Um, and so I've started watching uh, another palate cleanser on there, and there's only two episodes of this out called Solar Opposites. And this is um, a show which they're actually up to season two, I believe, in America, and it came out originally on Hulu. Um, and it's um, created by Justin Roiland, who made uh, Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. And so this is basically a, a show about some some aliens that come to Earth and they're they're kind of working out what what's better their their home planet or Earth and and I'm only as I say there's only two episodes so far out in New, in New Zealand but it's it's quite a bit of fun if you like Rick and Morty it's probably a show that's going to appeal to you very similar humor um, obviously because Justin Roiland voices um, a couple of the characters you can hear you can really hear Rick in all of these characters which is a lot of fun um, is this a, a show that's on your radar at all Paul? It, it is on the basis, as you said, of, of, of Justin Roiland and, and Mike McMahon, those two together, um, you know, off the back of just enjoying Mike McMahon's Lower Decks. Justin Roiland's voice is is incredible. Uh, the, the character of Rick is an all-time favourite. So, yeah, this is on the radar. I didn't realise it was on Disney Plus Star, Asterix, hashtag, whatever it's called. Um, I I will add it to my list, which I've been building up this week. Yeah, it's um. There's a lot of exciting stuff on there, but I think maybe we can talk about that in the in the newsroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? We had uh, another episode of One Division, so we were up to episode seven of nine, and so I think in the last last week's episode some news came out that each one of these sort of final three episodes was going to be an hour long. So I was quite shocked to see that this one was only 37 minutes or something long. So obviously um, a bit of uh, fake news out there. So I'm not quite sure what the length of the the final two episodes are. I think this episode was uh, good, but I don't think it was the best episode. Mm. But they're definitely, I think, taking us towards the end. They've had quite a few reveals. And I think one of the awesome things that we've been talking about with WandaVision is they've kind of been moving through different genres of television with different styles. And the awesome thing about um, – uh, episode seven is that they take a real sort of modern family type vibe and so where they where they break the fourth wall they'll often interview a character you know a, away from the scene that they're doing and it, it's so cool just to see Wanda or the kids or or Vision kind of sitting in like a chair just kind of being interviewed like, like they would be on Modern Family and it, that was a lot of fun um, they had the big sort of villain reveal in there as well, which was also a lot of fun. I, I think there's a lot to cover in the um, episodes eight and nine, but I think it's this has turned into a really fun show. And again, can't recommend it enough. If you're if you're a fan of the MCU, I think you'll you'll want to be a part of uh, One Division going forward. Yeah, I've stayed relatively away from it so that I can come in and not have it spoiled. And uh, I appreciate I did receive an email this week, Dan, from from yourself telling me exactly what things I should be watching uh, in the MCU to bring me up to speed. So we're going to start that journey soon. Um, I saw the title of this episode actually flash up. It was um, Breaking the Fourth Wall. So I, I kind of put two and two together as to what that might be. So that's that's pretty cool. A lot of people talking about this. And so, yeah, got to get amongst it. Great. And then um, I mentioned last week again, so started a TV show called Billions. Um, and so we've just finished season one of that show. And this has been our, our new binge. Now that sort of Yellowstone's, you know, basically done and that's just sort of drip feeding the, the last couple of episodes. We have been watching Billions every night 
couple of episodes a night and we are obsessed with it in our house it's it is top tier there is there's so much horrible um banter I think that um, people like Damien Lewis is I, I, he plays such a great bad guy I know that in um Band of Brothers, he's the hero, but he does he does bad so well. Um, Maggie Sith also who plays um, his psychiatrist, and just the the way the the firm works in Billions is just so fascinating. And I think it's really just it brings a light into I think hedge funds on Wall Street, um, how kind of corrupt everything is, and it really plays off this really interesting view of kind of the the government against the hedge funds and how they're actually both kind of as as corrupt as each other in a way and it kind of just paints everyone constantly in kind of different ways um both both as sort of like the the hero and the villain of of, of their own story and i'm really 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 intrigued to see where the show heads because so there's 12 episodes in season one i think there's 12 in each season Mm -hmm. and they're about an hour long each and look we've had we've had a fantastic time so many great one-liners. I'm intrigued to see what they do with this story for another four seasons, and I know they're working on a sixth season at the moment to see sort of how they how they keep telling the story and maybe how it might reinvent itself because it very much, as I was saying, is pitched as the um, the attorney general against a, a hedge fund and then kind of the, the fallout of various sort of wars that they're having. It amazes me because I was just reading the synopsis that just like I guess with Yellowstone and maybe other TV shows, but how such a simplistic, basic plot point can actually can allow for so much television and so much great television as well. By the sound of it, it sounds like a relatively straightforward story, and then it just uh, it goes from there. There's a couple of other uh, things that draw me into this as well. David Constable, uh, the actor from Breaking Bad, who played played Gale. Uh, I've always enjoyed him in Breaking Bad. And the other lead alongside Demi Lewis, of course, Paul, Paul Giamatti, Giamatti. He's also really good. And I feel like I haven't seen much of him. Of like, I've only ever seen him, I think, in like, in movies. I can't recall watching him in TV shows, but he's uh, he's obviously, you know, right up there with Damien Lewis as a lead. So there's another, another draw card for me here. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think you know, Paul Giamatti, he, so he works for the government and I don't, I don't know if I'm with the masses here or not, but he's a really hard character to like in this show, um, and and I find myself constantly kind of being more connected to Damian Lewis's character, mm. uh, Bobby Axelrod, and he, and that, like he's just so great. Like people call him X for short. Like that's so cool. Imagine being called X. Like it's it, it's amazing. Um, and so you know you're just mentioning um, uh, David um, Costable, and so he obviously is in Breaking Bad and such a different role here because in this in this in Billions he plays the right hand man to, to Bobby Axelrod Axelrod, sorry. And he does a lot of the dirty work. He's mm. um he's he's pretty um like he he really manages the team. He he says what needs to be said and that's very different from his vibe on Breaking Bad where he was kind of uh a fan of Walter White, I guess, and mm. uh, wanting to sort of um, produce top quality product. And it, it's a very different role here. But I think the other thing that sort of is fascinating about the show is how they just throw around big money 
like it's like it ain't no thing. Like there's a there's a, a scene early on where Bobby Axelrod and the and his sort of two I see um, Mike Wagner are at this charity event and they're, they're looking for donations and um, Bobby Axelwood stands up and he's like you know basically gives a million and then like it, the the host of the show of this uh, charity event is like anyone else want to give any money and then like he looks at uh, this character Wags and he's like he's like give five, like basically give 500,000 stand up. I don't want people to think that I'm a cheapskate or like I'm not a good employer. And I just think like how much money do you have to earn as an employee to, to donate half a million dollars? It's absolutely insane. Even just things like, um, so um, Maggie Sif who plays the, uh, she plays Wendy Rhodes and this is complicated relationship between, um, She's the she's the wife of the attorney general, but she also works for um, Damien Lewis's character, and she just got given a, a Maserati as part of a "I'm sorry, I kind of offended you" type situation. Again, like a half a million dollar car, like it's a world that's just so foreign to me. And I think particularly in New Zealand, where I think you know you don't really see that type of wealth um, around. You know, there, there obviously is like millionaires in the country, but you don't see it. Like you do in a in a Wall Street type way, and it's a it's just a fascinating look at a at a whole different lifestyle and genre. It really is a different world all around. If I was offended by someone at work, I would be impressed if they offered me a curry. So a Maserati, that's that's next level. That's uh, yeah. I, I guess the appeal for this is again, and I know I'm talking about Yellowstone a lot, but it's like you say, it's like just seeing how these these people live these lives in in different you know it's it's so so far from where we sit here in little old wellington it just feels like and just a different scale yeah i could as i said we did start this and then we got distracted by something else so i do recall the relationship with the this the, the therapist or the psychologist and we just never went back so but you know what you've got to have something to watch after yellowstone so it could be this I think what's um, what's good about it for me is it's a show where there's already five seasons out and I kind of feel like I knew it existed, but I didn't really know anything about it. And I kind of just love, I love it when you stumble across something and it turns out to be good and there's already a heap of content out there. Mm. And I think because of the type of show it is, I think whereas like, you know, with Yellowstone, I could probably sit down and watch three episodes in a row. Um, Billions is probably a, like it's a little bit um, drier, but you really stay around for the the witty dialogue. Um, I know it's going to be with us for uh, you know at least a, at least a good sort of month or so while we work our way through the the rest of the seasons. Awesome. Um, and apart from that, I th- just got my list. That is about all that I've been watching this week. So just a few little bits and pieces there. As I say, finished off Yellowstone. Main focus has been billions. So, Paul, that must make it time for movie of the week. Indeed it is. So each week, Dan and I watch a movie of the week, uh, which we choose randomly. You uh, have the opportunity to watch along with us if you join our Discord community by clicking on the link in the show notes. And we always publish in the the movie we're going to watch a week in advance so you can have the review and not have it be a spoiler for you. And this week we went with Jumanji, The Next Level, which uh, is a 2019 movie. And this is a sequel to Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, which of course was a, 
a reimagining of the original Robin Williams Jumanji. And in this one, the gang is back, but the game has changed. And as they return to rescue one of their own, the players will have to brave paths unknown from arid deserts to slowy, snowy mountains to escape the world's most dangerous game. And after some of our movies of the week, Dan, this was very much different. What are you thinking? Yeah, look, I think you're right. This is uh, quite a different genre for us. I think this is almost kind of a, a family-friendly action-adventure, isn't it? It's it's not quite the, um, using the air quotes here, like the, the thought piece that we might normally uh, talk about some of the time. Um, look, I, to be honest with you, like this is a popcorn movie. I It was quite a fun watch. I am not the biggest Jumanji fan. Mm. I... The original never really resonated with me for whatever reason. Um, I kind of passenger watched the um, the the re the, the new version of the of the movie a couple of years ago, uh, but I kind of knew enough to come into this one and watch it. And look, I was laughing along at some of the jokes. It, it was kind of ridiculous. It was fun. I actually think they've done quite a good job to reinvent Jumanji in more of a, a modern age, which probably makes sense to, to younger people as well, like the, particularly the way they're kind of really like made into a video game as opposed to a, to a board game. Um, I think there's a, there's a lot of laughs to be had. I'll, I'll tell you what this movie did make me really appreciate is uh, Danny DeVito. And I, mm. he's, he's so good. And, and not that I needed to be reminded of how great he is, but this movie is, is a real fun time for that. Um, and not to mention, you know, obviously it stars uh, The Rock. It's got Kevin Hart. It's got Jake Black. Um, it's got Karen Gilliam. It's got um, Aquafina. Like it's, it's actually a really fun cast. And I think it's one of those movies where you can tell they're, ha- they're having fun making it. It's ridiculous, but harmless and, and, and just kind of, an, I found it an easy watch. How did yeah. you find it, Paul? No, the same here. And uh, the ridiculousness of things like seeing The Rock having that intense stare at superpower playing on the fact that that's a very Dwayne Johnson thing that came from him as The Rock. You know, it, it was it was, it was was good fun. And after, as you said, sort of some of the heavier movies that we've had as our movie of the weeks, it was, it was a nice change to go something a bit lighter. Although, I guess, as you sort of said, the flip side of that, of course, is that my takeaways and thoughts and musings are going to be less profound than, than what you might be listening to hearing from me week in week out. But it, it is really, really funny. I'm really relieved to hear you say that you weren't big on the first Jumanji because I, th- I was feeling the same way. And I thought, Oh, can I come in and say that? Cause I've already been in our discord community this week. I've already been beaten up a bit. Cause you know, I was going in there going, Oh, I've never been a big Bill Pullman fan. And you know, a couple of people on there were like, what's going on. And I was like, Oh, do I really want to go after Robin Williams's Jumanji? But it never really resonated with me that much either. And this one, was kind of like I could take it or leave it. And if I have to be honest, if you hadn't suggested this one in the as one of the two choices for movie of the week, I probably wouldn't have gone there. But I did have a good time. They are really funny. Danny DeVito, like you said, great to see him. But The Rock is funny. Kevin Hart is probably my favourite in the movie. Really dry delivery of lines. Um, and talking of Danny DeVito, the 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 actress who played Bethany, who was then possessed by Danny DeVito's character, was really good at impersonating the veto's uh, mannerisms that that was quite impressive to watch um yeah i just you know and i love the you know the way these characters are discovering that they've got superpowers just like in a game so they can throw people and you know 
things that you can't do in real life. The Karen Gillan's character sort of um, becomes the Lara Croft type and is able to sort of swing around all over the place. Um, and I love that whole losing lives like in a game, you know, so we get to enjoy some, some humorous deaths of characters. And as long as they don't lose all their lives, they're, they're okay with that. Um, no, it was, it was good fun. It was good fun. Um, I would certainly recommend it for, for families. Like you said, family friendly, we watched it with our 11 year old son. He, he found it hilarious. And as a bit of a gamer, I think he found that sort of side of it quite fun all round. I have to admit, I had this moment where, um, particularly with, with the, the, the Rock, Dwayne Johnson's character, and he's punching all of those, um, the bad guys, and he's kind of punching them through walls, and he's so he's so overpowered. And I found myself, like, manically kind of laughing at it in a, in a way that, like, in an out-of-body experience, like, I kind of despise myself at the same time for, like, how funny I actually thought it was. Um, and I, I, for some reason, I could imagine it as, you know, it's the type of jokes my – my parents might laugh at, and I'd be like, "Lame," uh, but I, I found myself laughing at laughing at all of those moments, and it really made me question who I've become. Um, yeah, look, I think you can go into this movie. I think by the sounds of it, we both came into it not really as Jumanji fans. We've both come into it not really probably being fully set up from the the other movies, but I think it gives you enough to kind of um, set the scene and, and take you on the journey. And I actually think what it does quite well is it constantly actually gets you thinking about what character is what character. And because they're all kind of, there's all sorts of body swapping and all sorts of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And as you start to sort of piece together who, who that character is, it, it kind of makes it funnier. And I think, you know, to your point, I think that they, they do a great job at kind of mimicking some of the, some of the actors um, traits and, and the way they behave. Off topic, but on topic with Danny DeVito, seeing him in this and like you thinking, when was the last time I really saw a good DeVito movie? And just thinking back through his stuff and just thinking about him as the penguin in Batman Returns and thinking about Michael Keaton coming back as as Batman, just thinking, is there is there some way DeVito could sneak back in as, as Cobblepot? I don't know. That's a real stretch. It's nothing to do with this movie. This movie is a great time for the family, though. It is good fun. It is... Uh, it does exactly what it says on the tin type uh, type of movie. And if you're in New Zealand, this one is also available, like Yellowstone, like Billions, available to watch on Neon. I'm going to ask you a, a controversial question, Paul. Mm, mm. Um, what 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 do you give it on the Guns of Converse scale? See, you know, I have trouble with comedies. Like when I do top tens, I struggle to insert comedies into it because they're their whole own beast. And we're going to have a conversation about this. I already know in the mailbag soon, but uh, I'm going to go I, to. I think I'm I can help to. you. I'm going to. I think I can help you. I think um, I actually think this gets two ratings. I think it gets a, a a personal rating on the Guns of Kimbo scale, and then I think it probably gets a rating for what it is in its genre. Yeah. So on on a on a personal level, I, I'm like you. I'd probably give it a two on the Guns of Kimbo scale. For its genre, I would probably give it three. Because I think if you sort of in that, that family friendly adventure, it's good. Um, obviously, star stellar cast, um, no lack of budget, um, great comedy and scenes. Uh, but yeah, my, the personal level to general sort of appeal level are, are probably quite different things. For sure, for sure. Do we head to our right, uh, newsroom, Dan? 
let's do that. So what have we got in the, the newsroom this week? Let me just uh, sort out my information here. So it looks like um, movie theatres in New York are going to be opening from the 5th of March, uh, which is interesting. So obviously um, there's still, uh, across the world, there's, there's a lot of pandemic stuff um, still in motion. Um, but it looks like, yeah, some announcements have been made around that, which I'm sure many people in America, in fact, some of our, our fans, I'm sure, will be excited about these movie theatres reopening. They are going to be having a whole bunch of social distancing and um, additional practices in place, but it's a good thing, probably, because I think, um, well, actually, I, I say that it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword, isn't it? Mm. I think great to get movie theatres back in operation, both from a employment and economy point of view. Um, great because potentially we'll stop getting so many delays, but as long as it can be done safely, because I think that would be the worst thing to actually have movie theatres as the, the cause of, of additional clusters and outbreaks and definitely, things like that. Definitely. Um, what else have we got? So it looks like, obviously, we've been talking a little bit about um, Zack Snyder's Justice League coming out again soon. Mm -hmm. And so a bit of information has come out this week that he's actually not getting paid for the director's cut of of this, which is interesting. So he obviously wanted – he sort of made some calls that he wanted to have as much control as possible, use sort of any sort of funding and, and money to, to complete the project as opposed to um, get paid again for it. I would imagine there is something – in the in the in the back end of this deal where he will be getting something like maybe he's not getting sort of paid to initially set it up but I would imagine there's got to be something around how it's going to perform but I think that the hype around this this movie is just getting pretty extreme and I can't wait till we can talk about this Paul and actually we can watch it and and kind of talk about was it was it worth it um is this the story that like should have been told uh, is it still relevant after all this time? I think that's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I noticed this week looking at that movie, the original one had Danny Elfman doing the music, and he's not he's not a part of the the sequel. So I think changing the musical score to an entire movie, which is being you know re-edited and everything, that really gives it a different feel. So that would be interesting to see what effect that has too. And I think look by the sounds of it, he's he's not just sort of like dabbling like he's he's gone mm. he's gone full kind of recreation here and i think this is either going to spark a whole bunch of joy i think in the dc universe um or it's going to be the most sort of overhyped uh disappointing experience for everyone and i hope it's not that but i feel like I feel worried, yeah. <laughs> consciously worried. Um, what else have we got? So it looks like Guy Ritchie has got another interesting movie in the works. So he is going to be picking up a movie called The Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare, which is basically about the the first kind of black ops um, warfare unit back in sort of uh, 1939. And what a, what a perfect director to make this sort of movie. I love me some Guy Ritchie movies. And I think that, look, we don't know much details about this yet, but I think, you know, you're saying a lot of buzzwords for me. That's right. Uh, World War II, Black Ops, Guy Ritchie. Like th those are all things that are sort of the secret source for me. So I imagine that's going to be a fun time. You had me literally at Guy Ritchie because 
we've seen him with the, the the classic gangsters. We've seen him with the Sherlock Holmes. Pretty much what he whatever he puts his mind to always has something really interesting about it. So that's great. Um, what else have I got here? So Brent Spiner, who you may know, Paul, as Data. Indeed. Data. 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 Messing with you there. I know it's Data. <laughs> I'd stand down. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's put out, a, um, a, I guess, a bit of press this week that he actually um, believes that there'll be a, a Star Trek Next Generation reboot movie at some point, um, much like um, the original series. So I think that's, that's interesting. I think there's – I think, you know – Star Trek fandom is, um, is is still running running wild. Like there's still you know so much uh, love for the genre, and I think a a next generation reboot could be a, a really interesting thing to consider. Do you know anything about this, Paul? Mm, yeah, I saw what he said, and I I think eventually he is going to be correct. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, particularly when we have a current as in right now tv show star trek picard featuring jean-luc featuring brent spiner as mr data <laughs> it's it's um it, it's just not going to happen while well, i don't see those two things running concurrently because when we had the the 2009 jj abrams reboot of uh of of Star Trek, as many people use the reboot word there. It's an interesting one because, of course, they, they cut across universes. We won't go into that now. But when they did that, that original series crew, uh, many of them were already passed on and the remainder, you know, in their 80s. And, of course, Leonard Nimoy was the the, the, the touch point. But uh, I don't, unless they're going to go down the Kelvin universe, J.J. Abrams style, I don't see that movie that Brent's described coming on for, I would say, a decade. But I think he's right. It will eventually. I think he's way too early, though, predicting it now. You've really brought it down a notch, Paul. You, know? <laughs> you asked. You asked. I'm just I'm just Okay. Um, it looks like uh, season three of the Mayans MC, which is kind of the, the spin-off of Sons of Anarchy, we are getting season three in the middle of March. And it looks like we've already got that coming to Neon in New Zealand, which is fantastic news. And then my final bit of news uh, over here is obviously Stars has launched in New Zealand, which is a addition to Disney Plus. And what's really interesting about Stars is I think it's really taken the Disney Plus membership and turned the turned the dial up to what a what a quality and great offering that they've got now. And obviously this sort of brings in the what they're, I guess they're calling sort of the more more R-rated content that's sort of not necessarily as um, family-friendly as the, the standard Disney content. And they've created quite a nice separation between it. But I think one of the awesome things is, as I've already uh, mentioned, so there, there's some shows from Hulu in America like Solar Opposites, but already there's a whole bunch of like classic movies on there just scrolling through it that I'm really excited to rewatch cocktail romancing the stone con air like there's there's all these like old school action movies and kind of for the for the first time in a while it's great to have a platform that's got all of these movies on it there's ones that I, I feel like well for me I really loved growing up and I haven't seen them on any of the 
the Netflix, the Amazon Primes, the, the Neons, they, they've sort of been focused often on, on newer content. So I'm, I'm excited to really kind of dig into that next time I'm looking for a movie to watch. Oh, I'm all over that as well. I, I'm i so excited to know that I now have access. The ones I found, that I, I, once I found them, I couldn't go past them. That's all I started thinking about is the Alien movies, the whole Alien series. And I'm including Prometheus, Covenant. I'm even including the, the Alien versus Predator, not quite canon movies. The fact that I can now download these on my phone, that that's gold for me on days when I'm taking a train to the city. That means an hour and a half round trip. If I can watch Alien or Prometheus, that makes that a much more enjoyable train ride. So, you know, I I often go back and watch some of the older older content that's on Amazon Prime, as you know. Uh, this is going to be another one for me to, to, to do. So you can probably expect a review of one of those uh, movies from me very soon, I would say, Dan. And of course, as you mentioned last time, we've got Tombstone on there as well. Um, which would be a, an obvious choice for us as a, a movie of the week review with a special guest, Paddy Fox from Time Traveling Team Podcast. It's so good, isn't it, to see, like I was looking at Disney Plus just a little bit earlier, and it, I think you're right, like it's so cool to see, obviously you've got all your Star Wars and your Marvel movies, and then to see Alien sitting right next to it yeah. on this platform that's really been pitched as, I, I think, family-friendly. And it's got things like... Um, you know, it's got all, all of the seasons of X-Files, for example, and those are like 24, 25 episodes per season. And it's, it's it, I'm almost, you know, to the point here, which I never thought I would say in New Zealand is, we're sport for choice. There's like, it's almost even going to be harder when you're like, what do I want to watch? There's so many platforms now. And I think, you know, even more than ever, you need that kind of, that platform to be able to tell you once you've thought of what to watch, where am I going to watch it and, and what's it on? No, definitely. Uh, it's, it's a great position to, to be in having all these different choices. And yeah, we spotted the X-Files on there as well because we've got the X-Files DVD box set and that's heavy. Let me tell you, that's a, that's a heavy thing. And now all of a sudden it's, it's right there. Just, you know, go and choose what you want. They've got all the seasons of uh, uh, Futurama, just, 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 just so much. And uh, will I pay the price, the monthly subscription, the increase? Well, we'll see. We'll see. Have you got any more news, Dan, or I'll, I'll, I'll take the reins? I will hand over to you. All right. So I've only got a couple of things here, but interestingly enough, both the things that came to my attention are, are both separate, but both about the same person. And it's uh, your friend and my friend, Ronald D. Moore, who uh, brought about the the reimagining of Battlestar Galactica. So for him, we owe so much for that wonderful TV show. Obviously, started as a producer on star trek next generation writer of generations and first content so this is a guy i really like so this is why i'm paying attention to the news even if the news itself sounds like maybe it wouldn't be something that should normally interest me firstly he's developing a magic kingdom tv universe uh, at disney plus um which is loosely based on the the fiction organization of the same name uh, the society of explorers and adventurers as part of the disney theme park law i think that's quite an interesting project this is a guy who, when he puts his mind to stuff, normally comes out with something pretty impressive. And the other thing that came up uh, is that he is still wants his hat to be in the ring with the likes of Dave Filoni, John Favreau, Taika Waititi. He wants to make a Star Wars TV series. And this is nearly a decade after uh, Star Wars Underworld was canned. And I remember being really excited. Do you remember the poster for Underworld that George Lucas was producing? And it was this, like this looking down into a big, 
like cavern cavern like a huge underground lair and it just looked really exciting and ronald d moore was uh, going to be a part of that and he still wants in and i think he would be just a real strong you know you talked earlier about someone being the real gem in the pack well he would be amazing in there yeah that's um that's exciting i I think what a, a great time to kind of flag your interest in doing anything Star Wars related because there's so much content coming out. Obviously, they've got uh, directors and writers attached to a number of their TV shows, but I guess much like the Star Trek universe, what greater time to be getting involved in a, another part of the story. Exactly. Right? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's all the news I have, but I do have uh, a fair few things in our mailbag, which I'm happy just to 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 switch over. And I will um, I'll start off then with um, so so following feedback I received about my take on Star Trek Lower Decks uh, last week. As I mentioned, I decided to roll a poll asking the question: Is this new Star Trek comedy show canon? Is it part of the universe fabric, you know, this 50-year lore, L-O-R-E, of Picard and Spock and the Voyager and Discovery crews, or is it its own thing? Is it just a fun look at Star Trek and its comedy and what happens in this cartoon isn't really part of that? Well, then, we had 54 votes from people on this poll, which was, you know, it's a reasonable number. It's enough to sort of, you know, if you imagine 54 people stood in front of you, you might listen to them. And... There's, and there's no way you can vote more than once on Twitter because Twitter knows when someone's voted. So this was 54 individuals. And the results are 7% of people didn't think it mattered if it was canon or not. 11% have no idea, or maybe they haven't watched it. 22% think that it's not canon. And only 59% think that it is canon. I have worded that quite well, haven't I? Um, I'll tell you what, though. Interestingly, when I looked at the early votes, it looked like I had won this poll by a landslide, but it seems that this poll was accepting votes after the day of the poll. And so in many ways, Dan, I feel like this poll was stolen from me. Um, that said, I do accept the result. And look, 59%, the way I see it, that's just over half. So it's not overly convincing. There is still almost half the people who have uh, who have not said, yes, this is canon out there to, you know. So my response to, to White Star Prime on Twitter, who started all this, is that until CBS definitively state that this is canon, I choose to live in a world where a character called Badgie, you remember Badgie? You know, this living Starfleet badge that comes to life with an emoji-like face. I live in a world where that made really good comedy but no, it is not a character that will be showing up on Discovery or Picard or any other iteration of Star Trek. And I'll, I'll get off my high horse, otherwise I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep going. But um, but yeah, thank you to everyone who got involved in the poll, even if you, many of you it seems clearly voted in the wrong direction. <laughs> I think um, you're on you're on the verge of being impeached. I think. <laughs> that's, um, that's what's going, right? These uh, I I did have to laugh with the poll. I think that um. You know, at the end of the day, if you want to consider it not canon, that's okay. But I guess uh, if you do that, maybe maybe you'll lose your Star Trek badge. I'm not too sure. I don't like the sound of that at all. What else have I got here in the mailbag then? Okay, so our movie of the week last week was uh, Capone, uh, which is also available to stream here in New Zealand on Neon. Uh, the actress... Tilda Del Toro, who played the mysterious woman with whom Capone seemingly had that unknown son with, 
she liked and retweeted uh, our post. She started following us on both Twitter and Instagram. So that's half measures now tied with the Del Toro family name, which I think will be useful for us in years to come, Dan. Uh, last week's book review, uh, Star Trek Dooku, uh, Star Wars Dooku, Jedi Lost, uh, that, got a, that got a like on Twitter from Aaron McBride, and he was the artist who drew the cover art for that book, that really awesome picture of uh, Dooku and Asajj Ventress. Plus, we also had a thank you on Instagram from the author himself, uh, Kevan Scott, who thanked us for reviewing and recommending the book. And there was actually some other questions on our Instagram post for, that the author was then responding to about the this new High Republic book series. Um and because Kevin is one of five writers who've actually started that whole thing. So it was great that he was, uh, you know, sort of connecting with fans via our own Instagram post. So that was pretty cool. Um, we also had our peak performance as always last week, Liam Neeson. There was a lot of love for the big man. Uh, we had uh, Barb from the Hawks Bay, AKA the sunshine capital of New Zealand. Uh, she went with Rob Roy, an oldie, but a goodie. Uh, Trisha from Time Traveling Team podcast gave us three picks. Shinda's List, Qui-Gon Jinn and Michael Collins. And she also had a shout out uh, to Nell. In fact, she then said she subsequently went and re-watched Michael Collins after um, listening to our podcast and making her suggestions. So that's that's always good because we're all about making a rewatch happen, right, Dan? Uh, Definitely. Her co-host, Paddy, uh, he went with the same picks, Qui-Gon, Michael Collins and Oscar Schindler. And he also gave a special mention to to darkman and norman from roddenberry.com he also went with uh, darkman as to did another regular contributor uh, sador in fact we had no fewer than four people mention darkman so i'm wondering if i need to go back and rewatch this as i genuinely have not seen this since it came out in 1990 and to be honest i don't think i even saw darkman too for that matter but um but yeah so that was a uh, people from responses and then finally then uh, as you know, in the mailbag this week, one of our earliest uh, listeners, Sir Bruce Gray, uh, who traverses the shores of Scotland and Australia, he got in touch with us again this week. He is a fan of the podcast Films to be Buried With, um, which poses uh, like a bunch of questions to their celebrity guests each week. And <laughs> in lieu of celebrities, Bruce has posed those questions to us this week. And so, so Dan, you and I have not compared our answers to these questions. So let's let's just see how we go. Um, so our quick fire eight questions that we've got for films to be buried with Dan are as follows: first movie you remember seeing? Over to you. Yeah. So this this is actually a, a, a this was a lot tougher than I, I first thought it was going to be. Um, but I guess we start off easy. The first movie that I remember seeing was actually E.T. And so, God, I, I can't have been very old. I remember being absolutely terrified of everything that was going on in that movie. And I do remember at some point being in the theatre and kind of crawling down under the seat. And I don't know whether that was of, uh, you know, was I too young to understand it or was I, was I scared? But I, I do remember it having sort of a, a lasting impact on me. Um, but yeah, how about you, Paul? So for me, as far as I can tell, it's Superman 2. Uh, so that's, you know, in 1980. I was, I'm a little too young for the first Superman movie in 78. You know, I'm old, but I'm not that old. But I do remember being at the cinema for Superman 2. I, I remember 
I remember the music being so loud, you know, that John Williams fanfare and so powerful. I just remember thinking it was, it was just the greatest thing ever. And that movie has stuck with me forever since, to be honest. And, uh, and I've loved Terrence Stamp ever since then as well, no matter what I see him, even when he's chancellor of the galactic Senate in the, in the Phantom Menace, he will still be general Zod to me. So yeah, Superman two, is the first movie I remember seeing. Our second question here, films to be buried with, scariest film, then? Mm, um, I've actually kind of got two options here, um, kind of for, like, slightly different reasons. So a, a really scary film that I remember seeing, the first time I saw Paranormal Activity, I don't know what it is about Ghost Ball, but they – often the, the whole ghost genre really kind of like leaves me a little bit scarred and leaves me leaves me jumpy for a while. And that was a movie that for sort of a, a, a low-budget horror movie had had such an impact on me and still to this day makes me terrified of a, of a sheet being ripped off me in the middle of the night because it's, you know, some ghost trying to get me out of my house. Um, and so, yeah, that, that sat with me for a long time. Mm. The other movie that I'd like to sort of mention here is when I when I first moved to, um, to Wellington um, and it was the very first day I moved here and – uh, for some reason, I ended up going to going to the movies during the day, and I actually, <laughs> God knows why I did this, but I went to see it was the the Exorcist remastered or something, <laughs> and so I went during the day. I was the only person in the theater, and the horrible, horrible. Like that's obviously an old movie, but that is not a movie that you want to watch alone in a giant room by yourself. Not at all. Uh, so terrifying. Incredible. I uh, I haven't seen that in a while. Uh, for me, this is probably the, the one I found the hardest to answer, just because scary for me is quite a broad one. And certain genres of this, as I've talked about, you know, don't always appeal to me too much, like, you know, often horrors and, and whatever. But I like to think of it being a whole multitude of different feelings that when it comes to scary movies, because my go-to answer might actually even be the original Alien that we were just talking about before. But I, f- I feel like that's actually more about just sort of making me jump type movie and actually I'm there for the sci-fi. So in actual fact, for this one, I, I'm actually going to say 1999's The Blair Witch Project. And that may be a little cliche. And yes, I did possibly get caught up in the hype of it. But, but, but in truth, when I think about sitting down and watching it and just not feeling comfortable or like I like I did not want to look at the screen. It's not, it's not like sort of jumping behind the sofa, like Dr. Who back in the day, but just not wanting to look and just feeling quite not at ease at all. I think this is it. I love the way it's filmed and, you know, many films have tried to emulate it. Right. But this, this is the one that stands out for me. I think that's a, it's a really good shout out to that film. I had an experience with Blair Witch where obviously, you know, caught up in the hype, went to watch it. There's definitely some sort of moments of kind of scariness, particularly the way it was filmed. But I'll tell you what happened. Like, it wasn't until I actually started talking about that movie afterwards with people I know when it really set in how terrifying it was. And it was a movie that I actually, I became scared of afterwards as opposed to and, and I, I still remember to this day kind of just having these kind of deep conversations with with friends about it and it being 
it, it, it really disturbing me. So, and I think when a movie can do that, once you're, you're finished watching it, I think that that's something special. Nice. Uh, so our next one, Dan, for uh, this is one, isn't it? Funniest film. Oh, funniest film. Yeah, this is tough too, isn't it? Because I think um, much like scary films, it really depends on on the moment, you know, what type of vibe you're going for. I think one of my favourite films, I've mentioned it a few times on the pod, and in and, and the comedy genre would have to be Step Brothers. I find that movie funnier and funnier every time I watch it. I know all of the dialogue. I know what's coming. And it's, it's it's just a good time. I guess, funnily enough, I actually didn't overly find it that funny the first time I watched it. But again, it's one of those movies that really grew on me over time. Lots of the sort of like when you've watched it with a, a similar group of people and those kind of jokes are coming out and they kind of get expanded on. It makes you really appreciate the movie in a different way. So, yeah, I think Step Brothers for me. Nice. I, I, had, a, I had a vibe you might go with that one. This this whole question is a whole podcast right here. This you know funny film, it, it really is. And even though I've got an answer written down, I'm already just not happy with it. And I think no one's going to see this answer coming. Not not even Diana. Not just like there's a number of things that were up there. Like I had Bridesmaids, I had Dumb and Dumber, I had Beverly Hills. I mean, I had so much. Um, there's things that we watched that we watched together and we laugh couples retreat heartbreak kid just things that aren't great movies and the one i've gone with is is also like just not not a standout but for pure funniness i say dodgeball and as i say i'm already not happy with my answer but it's just too hard i just can't watch this movie without laughing at least every 30 seconds and i feel like that's a lot of laughs and I love Rip Torn in this movie. And when he says, if you can dodge a wrench, then you can dodge a ball and starts throwing wrenches, that's when it really kicks off. And then there's a moment when Vince Vaughn asks Rip Torn, are you sure this is completely necessary? The response that Rip Torn gives when he says necessary, and I'm not going to do an impression because I'll do it no justice. It has to be one of my favorite word pronunciations of all time. I actually get genuinely scared when someone asks me a question at work that ends with the word, you know, is that necessary? As I feel like I just may forget where I am and start talking dodgeball and then lose my job because I don't know, it's, it's great. Just, just YouTube rip torn necessary. And it's, it's great. But uh, yeah, (laughs) dodgeball was what I went with and it's just too hard a question. Um, I love, I love that. It's a good movie. Film you loved as a kid, Dan? Uh, I think this is probably the easiest of all of them for me. Uh, I'm going to go with Empire Strikes Back purely because I feel like it's the – I loved all the Star Wars movies as a kid, but for whatever reason, Empire Strikes Back is the one that I remember watching the most, which when I think about is kind of a funny choice for for a young Daniel Whiting, but but nevertheless – it was just so good. I, I love the the opening sort of battle on Hoth. I, I I just have so many memories of always trying to get my friends and cousins and stuff to, to watch the movie with me at any opportunity. So, yeah, Empire Strikes Back for me. Nice. Yeah, it was the easiest one for me as well. And there's there's no other answer I can give other than A New Hope. That that one for me defined my childhood, for better or worse, has made me who I am today. Um just and it's interesting because 
when I look across all three of those classic original trilogy movies, Return of the Jedi was in many respects the one that I had the most action figures of and picture books and sticker albums, whatever. But but when I sort of think about it, it's it's a new hope that really dragged me in there. And, you know, this is great. I mean, this is this was everything. And this is why I will forgive George Lucas for anything. I could talk for hours, but I will just I will just say Star Wars a new hope. Uh, okay. Guilty pleasure film, Dan. This is another tough one. I I hummed and hard a little bit on this one, but I actually think I'm going to go with the first Fast and the Furious movie. <laughs> Obviously, uh, we have talked a lot about these these movies on the pod, uh, but I think the first movie is so over the top, ridiculous. It's, it's, as I as I've said many times, it's a classic action um, action hero movie. It's I could watch it at any time and kind of just have have a good time. And so when I thought about what the term kind of guilty pleasure meant, I kind of thought that probably fits the the, the genre for me. That's nice. I like that. I like that. Um, so for me, this is, I don't know how you follow it fast and the furious. For me, my pick is a movie that I, I know is terrible and I understand why so many people panned it. And yet I always enjoy it. I wonder if this is on Disney Star. I should have to have a look. Um, six Days, Seven Nights, <laughs> starring Harrison Ford, Anne Hesch, and David Strimmer. And for me, I basically treat this as Han Solo, the comedy, because we have Harrison Ford as, as a grumpy pilot of a, of a two-person plane, and he's constantly arguing in a very Han Solo way with his, his passenger, played by Anne Hesch. And of course, you know, they're both arguing and there's this, this tension between them, but of course they're both infatuated with each other. And so there's a real hand layer vibe that appeals to me as well. So it's basically, and it was just at a time when I feel like it would have been just after Return of the Jedi. I just feel like Harrison Ford was still younger than he was in Force Awakens. And so it just had that real, it was as close as I could imagine ever a hand solo comedy movie of being. So I, I love it just for that. It's terrible, but it's my guilty pleasure film. Uh, okay, so here's an interesting one. Film that means something special to you. Mm, again, it's tricky, isn't it? And I guess I've, I've kind of just gone with my initial gut reactions for these um, after angsting over them for a little while um, and then just kept coming back to what I originally thought. So the first movie that came to mind, and it's kind of probably a bit of a an odd choice, is actually the Three Musketeers, and I'm talking about the the 1993 version, um, and you know it stars Charlie Sheen, Chris O'Donnell, Keith Sutherland, um, Oliver Platt, and I remember going to this movie, uh, Tim Curry, with um, actually with my my grandma, and I remember her taking me to it, and absolutely just becoming obsessed with the Three Musketeers, and. This was probably one of the movies too where the the soundtrack really got me, and you know you're talking Brian Adams, All for Love, um, it, it, it's just so good. And I think in in preparing for the podcast, I actually found myself re-listening to that song, and it brought back all of those those great memories of of going to see this with my grandma, um, getting the soundtrack afterwards. Um, becoming obsessed and, and you know reading books about the Three Musketeers, um, thinking D'Artagnan is the is the coolest character possible, and 
to this day, I, I'm still a, a Musketeers fan because of this, you know, relatively, you know, this is a, what, a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, mm. probably average movie, but look, it's got some great memories attached to it. That's great. I love this. This is good. Yeah, we're, what are we now, 53 episodes in, and I'm still learning things about what you love to watch and what you what has made you who you are today, because there's some great stories. Most of them involve 1989's Batman, of course, but we won't go there. Uh, the, the one for me was the Lord of the Rings. And the reason for that, and it, 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 I mean, I guess it's the trilogy. I, I guess probably the Fellowship's the one I'm probably thinking of. But the reason for that is because, so I moved to New Zealand's 20 years ago this year and you know i met a girl and she asked me have you ever seen lord of the rings before and to her horror the answer was no and and like so she was a huge fan of the books and uh and you know the whole thing and so i watched them all with her and i absolutely loved them and i i remember you know we had we bought the extended dvds at the time so my first viewing was also the full editions which i think is how it should be right and you know it's just it's the best and so you, even now you just want those long rainy weekends sometimes so that you can just sit down and watch these movies and they're and yeah so they're, they're so special to me because you know she introduced me to them and got me into them and then we got married not the same day but i feel like it played a big part in the decision process so um yeah lord of the rings you got, you got your own one ring to to rule them all Correct, yeah. That's the engagement ring that she wears. I think that's how it works, isn't it? Something like that. Okay. Film you relate to most. Um, oh, so this was the one I struggled with the most, actually. Mm. Um, and I feel like there's so many movies I relate to in, in different ways. And but the the one that kind of stuck out in my mind again, and again a bit of a, a weird choice actually, was the Lego Movie. And the the reason it did that is for kind of a a really bizarre bizarre reason. Like I am a, I'm a big Lego fan. I um played with Lego all my life. I I still make Lego sets. And watching that movie, and then kind of having the sort of end revealed about, you know, kind of the the dad and the craggle and kids shouldn't touch the Lego and it's for looking at, not for playing. Correct. It kind of actually just reminded me that, like, I've, I've lost my way. I've um, like I, I've got a house full of, like, um, Lego sets and cabinets and, you know, a, a young Daniel Whiting had just a bag of Lego and he would have endless ideas and endless things to make. And I've kind of lost that. Um, because I, I now, you know, make a set with the instructions and then I put it on the shelf and I, I never pull it apart. And it's kind of just, I felt like it really just touched on a, on a weird sort of moment in my life and kind of made me think about and, and feel a whole bunch of different things. I think that is a great answer. I really love that answer. It's it's so true, but, you know, the, the Lego sets and I can still remember – my parents has the the biscuit tins full of random pieces of lego and you'd sort of open the lid and then they'd fall onto the floor and then you just make whatever and you know uh now i just want as you say now i just want to buy the 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 star wars sets the batman sets whatever and they'll never be touched and anyone who dares touch them you know good luck to you my uh, that's a great answer my my one uh is groundhog day and like you i found this film sorry, this, this, this question pretty hard. Cause it's like, you know, film that you relate to the most. So I thought about that more than I did any of the others. 
and I think it kind of came into in terms of I relate to it in terms of the routine of life uh, and just to qualify that I, I like my routine I like the routine but you know it's the same annoying person on the train the same alarm going off each morning the daily stand-up in the office at work watching a game of football on the tv on a sunday i i like that comfortable predictability but at the same time i can also relate to the to the the frustrations that come out of that i used to work for an organization i was in the same building from 2006 to just after 2016 so you know 10 years in the same building just groundhog day and um so i kind of relate to it on that way but um i love this movie I find it hilarious, and I also it's it's also a really interesting choice to to go with this one because I know it's a movie that um, that Diana really doesn't like. So, um, interesting, but film that I can relate to in terms of life, yeah, Groundhog Day. And our final question is: movie that made you cry the most? So for me, this is pretty much any movie that has something like has a a pet or an animal that is i know it's going to be sad and the one that comes to mind for me is marley and me and so this is the 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 2008 movie and you know i knew going into this film you know this is basically about you know starring owen wilson and jennifer anderson and they've got this this puppy and it's kind of growing up that I knew going in, this is not going to end well, and I I could feel the the my heartstrings being pulled at from the moment that we hit play, and I was like, I have never wanted a reason to leave the room more than watching Marley and Me because it it, it just gets me warm. It gets me. I, in fact, to this day, I will avoid any program or any movie that that is kind of you know animal related, and you know if there's you know, I think Disney's classic for bringing them out where there's, you know, someone's traveling across Antarctica and they've got their pack of wolves or their one wolf that kind of is helping them or something. And I know that something bad's going to happen. I, I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want that emotion. I feel like I need to stop you talking. I feel I need to stop you talking down. I can see you. You're about to go even now just thinking about Marley and me. I hear a lot of people talk about that one being one that gets them going. Uh, for me, part of me really wants to say the wrath of Khan because as a kid, I could not understand or comprehend that, you know, 1982, so I'm not that old. I, I, I couldn't get the Spock had died and that they, they, the movie was ending and that they, I understood that people had made this movie and that they were okay to make a movie like that. What, what was wrong with them? How can you kill off Spock? But yeah, I've come to learn. And of course, spoiler alert, the search for Spock, guess who they find. For me, the actual answer to this one has to be Again, I feel just like with Blair Witch. I'm going a little bit cliche, but I have to go with the notebook. It's too much. I cannot cope with this movie. It is a. It is, however, a really good one to watch. If you like, if you like stressed out at work or something, I feel like watching this movie just puts everything into perspective about what is really important in life. And then your work problems, you know, they, they don't feel quite so bad. It's so sad. It's so emotional. It's uh, a really nice story it's possibly the greatest ryan gosling movie of all time i'm sure you would agree on that as well dan so i just had to say that just to see your reaction um so yeah i I would go with the notebook and i remember sitting down the first time and thinking oh everyone says this is a real sad movie yeah we'll see about that and then you know having to excuse myself just 
the right moment just so that I could, you know, compose myself. It's uh, it's awful. It's really sad. I think what's always hard about a, a, a movie that is going to make you sad is either if it catches you off guard and you don't know it's you don't know it's coming, mm. or I think it's it would almost be okay if you were watching it alone. But I feel like if you're watching it with other people and you've got to like hold it together, yeah. I I almost put down for this category actually when I went to the the midnight premiere of Return of the King and sort of like knowing that this was the, the end of the trilogy and when everyone's coming in to see Frodo, I was like sitting with my friends and I'm like telling myself like, hold it together, hold it together. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm massive on holding it together. I am I have a technique. I'm going to give you give away the game here. So if, if I feel myself getting that way in a movie, I'll, I'll start. I'll go into Greyhound Day. That's what I do. I start thinking, okay, what's my routine? Okay, so tomorrow – Alarm's going off at five, getting the train, got to get in, we've got to stand up at nine. And I'll start, I'll try and just totally disassociate myself and start thinking about the routine of my life and try and prevent me from going into that. But really, we should be embracing it and fully immersing ourselves into all the emotions. Um, and so that that that's it, Dan. Those are our films to be to be buried with. And that was pretty cool. And um so our thanks again to to Bruce Gray for putting those questions to us, um, and thanks in advance to the, uh, the, the films to be buried with podcast for not suing us for for doing this. I guess we should do this again sometime, Paul. But talk about it for TV shows because I think it could bring out a a whole nother oh, yeah. lens. But yeah, that's a that's a, a great uh, great exercise. Thanks for suggesting that, Bruce. And we're still okay. we're still on the mailbag, Dan. This is the longest mailbag. Oh, we're still there. We're still oh, on the mailbag of, there, all, of all time. And um, yeah, and the final thing I've got here, we've got another Dan in Wellington uh, who has picked up Yellowstone off the back of some half measures socialization. And I understand he's also just finished season one as well. So hopefully, if he's listening to this podcast, uh, he's uh, got some got some thoughts on first season for himself as well. But that is the mailbag this week, Dan. Awesome. Well, we uh, God, this has turned into. I thought we were going to have a short podcast this week, Paul, <laughs> but we're 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 almost an hour and a half in, and uh, we've got one more segment to go. So we've got our peak performance um, for this week, and so much like our movie of the week, every week um, Paul and I take turns choosing different actors and actresses, and we talk about our favourite movies and the favourite roles that they've had. And so this week it was Paul's choice. And who did you go with, Paul? This week, Dan, I chose, off the back of last week's movie of the week, Tom Hardy. Epic choice. Uh, and look, I feel like we say this all the time with peak performances, uh, but I think, you know, Tom Hardy, is he's got some real great movies and TV shows under his belt. And... Like always, I actually found it really hard to get down to my top three. Yeah, definitely really hard. There's there's, there's so much in there. I've made a note of what I think your top three are. I like to think I can predict sometimes. I get, uh, part of the fun of it is actually thinking I reckon I can pick Dan's three. So I'll be honest with you when you do yours as to whether I was on the money or not. Uh, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So 
I almost went for some TV shows um, for Tom Hardy, but I, I decided no, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it in the movie genre because it just opened up too many, and it made it too hard to compare. But for my number three choice, I'm actually gonna go with the 2015 movie Legend, and so Tom Hardy actually plays a a dual role in this movie. He plays both of the the main characters, uh, Reggie Cray and Ron Cray, and I think what's you know, this movie isn't necessarily the best um, gangster movie of all time, but I think it's a it's still a it's still a great movie. And I think what this movie does is it really demonstrates Tom Hardy's amazing ability to convince you that he's two different people, and he he's an expert in his craft. And I think number three for me, Legend. For 2000, and, sorry for my, I'm starting with the year. For my number two, I'm actually going to go with uh, Tom Hardy's role as Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. So I'm a huge fan of the, the Christopher Nolan uh, Batman movies. I, I think Bane is, this is such a, a, a great way to see Bane brought to life in a movie. You know, often when we see Bane, he's just kind of this, this giant thug. Um, who's kind of empowered by, um, you know, all this sort of um, venom to, to sort of keep him going. And I think, you know, again, this movie gets a hard time because it's not always easy to understand what um, Bane is saying, but I think this is kind of a, a trait of Christopher Nolan. And I just think such a, another great performance of, of Tom Hardy. My number one I'm actually going to go with Tom Hardy's role as um, Max from Mad Max. And so the 2015 version of of Mad Max I thought was absolutely fantastic. Again, such a a fantastic kind of reimagining of this story. I really want to see more Tom Hardy in this universe. I think he he smashed this role. you know, I, there's a lot of drama that's kind of attached with this movie, particularly between um, Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron. But I would love to see both of these guys together again because uh, epic movie, epic story, epic acting. Three, two, one for me is Legend, The Dark Knight Rises, and Mad Max: Fury Road. How about you, Paul? Incredible. Was I was I on the money? Incredible, Dan. I got two out of three. I was. I thought you'd go Mad Max. I thought you'd go Bane. Uh, I did not expect you to go with Legend. So you pulled one out that surprised me there. And I think uh, it'll be uh, yeah. So interestingly enough, so my choices in third place, I am going to go with the two thousand two movie Star Trek Nemesis, and this was the final. Next Generation movie before they do the reboot that Brent Spiner talked about, of course. And and Tom Hardy played the villain uh, Shinzon in this. And I won't go any further in spoilers. I know you're on a journey here with Star Trek, but this movie does have its critics. And in some respects, I count myself amongst them. However, this, this makes peak performance for me based on the fact of Tom Hardy's performance because despite some poor direction... At its heart, this is a pretty powerful movie, and that is due from to me in no small part to Tom Hardy as the villain. I would say that perhaps the best Star Trek villain after 
after Khan and the Wrath of Khan, after Christopher Plummer in in Star Trek VI um, as the Klingon, Tom Hardy brings this character to life better than any other Star Trek um, villain that we've had, and a real sinister tone about him, a real evilness that's really really terrifying. And of course, two thousand two, you know, he's a bit of, a little bit younger than he is now, but even then, even back then, you just knew he was he was going to have a great future, and, and indeed he has. So that's my my third place choice. Number two for me is 2012's The Dark Knight Rises, much like yourself, Dan. So the third movie in the Nolan trilogy. And I was just sitting here just laughing at some of the things you're saying because, of course, we never compare notes. And I, I did make a couple of notes here. And one of the things I put here is that he makes me care about the character Bane. He he elevates him from what I would consider to be a, a sort of like a, a secondary villain to, to the A-team of villains. He, he Prior to this movie, he was kind of like a, a Mr. Freeze, a, a, a Scarecrow, Mad Hatter level villain. And now when I think about him, it's, it's all changed. Previously, how he was portrayed in the 97 movie, the, the Batman, and Ruby, Batman and Robin movie, there's no comparison now. Uh, and this movie, he's he's just blown that out of the water. Now he's right up there with, you know, with, with Joker and uh, Penguin and Catwoman. And... Uh, the first, you know, you talked about the voice. The first time I heard that voice, I was very taken aback. But now, that now that is the voice of Bane. That anything else is just wrong. That has become the the voice of Bane. So I really appreciate that. And I know that there's a line in this movie that that you absolutely love about you know being you know being born in, in the darkness. Um, it's it's always a favourite to to hear you recite that one. What's what's interesting about this three, two, one this week for me is that my number one is the movie that I did not see coming on your list, and that is Legend, the twenty fifteen movie that you just talked about. So the you know, the story of the Cray brothers. And you know, like like with Star Trek Nemesis, this is another movie that didn't win everyone over. Like you said, it's not the greatest gangster of all time, but I really rate it. And I would rewatch this at any point you know for for a rewatch it's it's great it, he really just gives so much as both brothers and that and there's so much of this movie where he he's on screen as both brothers at the same time and so his the performance to do that alongside obviously editing from a tech point is seamless and uh as a london gangster tom hardy is unbeatable and he's just got such great delivery of lines and sometimes he's delivering those lines from himself back to himself of course one brother to the other which is is just it's great i would say to people if you haven't seen it don't believe the hate this is this is really worth a watch and if you like tom hardy i will give you a money back guarantee that you'll enjoy this movie for that alone have you watched i forget um have you watched peaky blinders paul no and that was my third choice that i thought you were going to go with that was what i, I thought you were going to go with uh with with bane with mad max and with picky blinders because I, I knew you'd seen that yeah yeah i think you know, I, was, I was really torn on that and i think the other um one that i really thought about him in is obviously uh band of brothers yeah. as well not a, not a major role but still a I think, you know, he's he's still so young, you know, and when you think about his career, and I think, you know, there's still a lot of great things to come from Tom Hardy, which is which is exciting. Indeed it is. And I would say, Dan, that that is probably us for this week. It's a bonus episode lengthwise, thanks to the questions in the mailbag from Bruce. Uh, so, yeah, thanks again to Ireland's number one Doctor Who podcast, Time Travelling Team, for sponsoring 
this week's episode. Also, a special shout out to our Patreon producers of the show, Trisha Brady and Samara King. If you would like to become a producer of the show, then check out our Patreon details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.